This is the Magic Word Podcast.com. Hello, this is Scott Wells for the Magic Word Podcast.com. This week's episode is brought to you by the Winter Carnival coming up on March the 9th through the 11th in Pigeon Forge in uh, Tennessee. I just returned from the Magi Fest and hopefully you enjoyed the three daily reports that I gave from there. And my next convention will be there in March at the Winter Carnival and I hope to see you there. But if you can't make it, I will be reporting from those few days as well while I'm at the convention. And then I'm off to the Magic Castle actually to perform in the parlor. So if you're out in that area, be sure to catch me while I'm out there then as well. But I will be uh, coming up at the Winter Carnival in Pigeon Forge and I encourage all of you to go and sign up. If you go over to the magicwordpodcast.com's convention page, we've got a place there where you can actually hear a little bit longer chat with Tom Vorjahan, who tells us some information that we all need to know about what's going to be happening uh, at the convention. But you'll hear from Tom a little bit later in this podcast. Speaking of this podcast, this was recorded uh, this past year when we were at the TRIX convention, the T-R-I-C-S, that's the Tri-C's convention, the Carolina Close-Up convention that Scott Robinson puts on uh, out in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina each November. And it is a great convention, and one of the people who was performing there and I had a chance to sit down with is my friend Terry Ward. This was a conversation that has been, again, long overdue. I have so many friends in magic that I have I want to get to, and uh, I hope to live a very long life so I can get to all of you guys and gals out there. You've probably heard of the 10,000-hour rule, which was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. As Gladwell tells it, the rule goes like this. It takes 10,000 hours of intensive practice to achieve mastery of complex skills and materials, like playing the violin or the piano, or perhaps even, as I would like to put it, being an expert magician, much like our guest here today. Terry Ward has spent well over 10,000 hours performing magic over the years in various theme parks, including Disney World. He has just a great repertoire and a wonderful personality, and he's got a lot to share with us here this week. And one of the things he's sharing with us also is a prize package in which he's going to be offering not one but two different things. So rather than telling you what those are right now, I'm going to introduce Terry, so this way we'll talk about that after the podcast. So be sure and stay tuned for that, and be sure and go to the website at themagicwordpodcast.com where you can sign up for the contest. Anyhow, more on that later and also more about the Winter Carnival later as well. But for right now, let's hear from our guest this week, Mr. Terry Ward, here on The Magic Word. We're going in a little bit different direction uh, this week than we have gone in the past because we have had some people we've talked to about working theme parks and uh, people who certainly almost many of the magicians who have uh, been on the episodes of Magic Word podcast have been longtime professional workers who have had thousands of shows. But there is nobody, I think, that uh, can 
compete necessarily with my guests here today. And uh, we're going to be talking about a variety of things. I know that you guys are going to get a lot out of it. You will learn a lot about of it because we're going to be talking about not only his background, but also about character development and how that you can perhaps uh, employ some of these uh, tips and tricks into your own performance by creating a character as well as some marketing ideas and business sense and having goals. Oh my gosh, we're going to cover it all. And this is someone who had worked with uh, on several theme parks and he'd worked with Disney for uh, about 30 years and he has, listen to this, over 40,000 shows that he's performed uh, over there. So this is amazing uh, guy. Please welcome my guest this week, Mr. Terry Ward. Hey, Terry. Hey, pleasure to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. I The last guy that I spoke with on, about theme parks was uh, Doug Anderson, and that has been many years ago, and I'm sure you know Doug. Yes, I do. Did you ever work with him by chance? Because he had worked, I want to say, uh, up in Oklahoma or someplace. Uh, I'm not sure which theme park, but did you, how did you get to know him, or do you he read used books? He to live or? in Orlando. That's right, because he was a cruise ship guy, so yeah, he kind of worked guy. out of Orlando, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, so I used to see him at local meetings or uh-huh. uh, magic gatherings. Yeah, mm-hmm. great guy. And so, again, I, I know he literally wrote the book on working theme parks. And uh, was that anything that had influenced you at all? Did you read the book? Are you familiar with that? And I hadn't read the book until uh, after I'd already been involved. Okay, okay. Yeah, I heard about it, and I was like, well, yeah, check that out. I know he was friends also with Paul Osborne, uh, and Paul Os- Osborne had booked a lot of acts also uh, on theme parks and things like that. And But when you had worked at your first theme park, and you were in King's Landing, which— King's, w- King's Dominion. King, King's Dominion. In yes. Virginia? Or in Virginia, was- in Richmond, Virginia. So tell me something about that and how you actually got that, or do you have an agent? Well, I or- had auditioned at Carowinds in uh, North Carolina. Okay. And they sent me a letter and said that they didn't have any room uh, for a magician. So uh, uh, I thought, oh, darn, because I thought the audition went really well. Yeah. But they contacted me a few weeks later and said, hey, we've got a sister park up in Richmond, Virginia, that, and we need a magician there because our magician backed out. I was like, great. That'll be super. Because I lived up in Springfield, Virginia, which was about an hour and 15 minutes away. And, and that uh, was where you from. You went, to, no, you went to school here in North Carolina, though, right? Yeah, I went to college here in North Carolina at Catawba mm-hmm. College in Salisbury, North Carolina. And majored in theater. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I majored in theater and got a minor in communications and graduated in 86. Okay. You're a young man. Yeah. Very young man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Graduated high school in 81 and then did the five-year college program. Yeah. Uh, so going to Carowinds, when you had first audition, because it was kind of like in the neighborhood, basically, I guess, when we talk about theme parks, I mean, that's like with Ferris wheels and everything? Because I think of, obviously, Disneyland and Disney World today as being at Knott's Berry Farm, being those kind of things. But So they had roller coasters and all those kinds of rides? Roller coasters. And, they have one roller coaster at Carowinds that went from North Carolina into South Carolina wow. and back in again. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was really kind of cool. They had some great roller coasters, great rides. They had, uh, at the time, they had the Hanna-Barbera characters. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, at uh, Carowinds and, and King's Dominion and King's Island. Mm-hmm. And then we also, at one point, uh, acquired a park out in California somewhere. Hmm. Um, I don't recall the name of that. Now, Carowinds is no longer... Carowinds is still, still here. Oh, still today. here. Okay. Yep, Carowinds is still here, and uh, King's Dominion is still open. Uh, it's owned by a different uh, company now. Okay. I think it might be opened by Paramount, if I'm correct, but I'm hmm. not completely sure. 
and I haven't been up to Kings Island in a long time. Now, were you in college at the time also when you had auditioned for? I was in college. That's what my I had a buddy David uh, Beach who was a juggler at Carowinds, and he said you you need to go to the audition. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of reluctant, but I thought okay. What do I got to lose? Well, yeah. So I went to the audition. I'd worked up a routine that I could do for them and magic. Like stand-up or close-up kind of a show? Uh, it was kind of like a parlor routine. Okay. Because uh, David said he worked on a, a small stage with a small audience. So I yeah. thought, okay, I'll do a parlor kind of a thing. And uh, the audition went well, but uh, um, I, I, I didn't get in, but I was lucky enough to be contacted and went to King's Dominion. And that was is a really nice park because it was a small park, so you mm-hmm. knew everybody you were working with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, there were jugglers there. I still One of the guys I still know, his name is Max Winfrey. Um, he still lives in Orlando. We've known each other for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there was a mime there, an incredible mime. We had a uh, balloon artist come through that did some nice work. Mm. Uh, so we had a variety of variety of performers that did stuff around the park. And we all broke in this pretty much the same area, so we'd all sit in kibitz and mm-hmm. you know work on routines and <clears throat> and I did um, let's see how many years did I do I did f- five years there. And what was interesting is they asked you to move up here because you thought it was like an hour and a half drive or something from the house, and you could do that. Yeah, and- it was about an hour, fifteen hour and a half from Springfield to to Richmond, and I just. After doing it a few times, the drive was just, it was a long drive. <laughs> and there were some times if you ran into traffic hmm. that you would, you really had to leave almost an hour early. Oh, my. So Maybe you live at home with mom and dad? Yeah. Okay. And uh, that's when I went to mom and dad and I said, I need to find a place, place up there in Richmond because mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a long drive. Yeah. So I ended up finding a place. There was an elderly woman who rented rooms out of her house. And I rented a room right on the railroad tracks. So every night at about you know eleven thirty at night, yeah. But but after you'd been there for a month and a half, you just slept right through it. Uh-huh. Um, but she rented out a room. Her name was uh, Mrs. Gray. She, uh, from what I understand, I think she was a library librarian for the Library of Congress. Hmm. Wow! And retired in in Ashland, Virginia, right outside of Richmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great, um, uh, great place. I roomed there several summers. It was just a summer job, though. Only I mean, it was. It was seasonal. a summer job, but you could, uh, if you could get out of college early enough, you could do a few weekends prior. Okay. Uh, to the Before summer hitting June. Uh, yeah, June, July, and August. Okay. And then you could do uh, a little bit into September. But you really can't make a living, I wouldn't think, then doing No, you couldn't. Think and that was just part. a job, you know, between college. So sure. every summer I worked there. Mm-hmm. But I saw improvements in both my magic and my acting. Uh, and actually my senior year, I did a uh, – my junior year into my senior year, I did a work uh, program uh, at uh, for college where I whatever routine I was working on at uh, King's Dominion, I would write – about the routine and the audience reaction and mm-hmm. uh, how they felt uh, about the effect and uh, whether I thought it was working, whether the hmm. lines I used. So I got some college credit out of that one summer. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And and then I actually, after my um, senior year in college, I went back there again. And then I went to back to my folks. Now, by that time, my dad had been moved to New Jersey. Okay. So I went up into New Jersey and tried to do that New York 
actor thing. Mm-hmm. But I very quickly <laughs> actor thing. learned that I did not like big cities. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. very quickly. So it wasn't so much Broadway as it was just the city vibe no, didn't just, set with you? No. It was that Interesting. Now, probably because I had to take the bus all the time to go into the city. You didn't live downtown? Uh, no. No, I didn't. Okay. I never lived in the city. I just had to take the bus in and uh, I'd go to a few auditions. And I, But I'd go to every one of these auditions and everybody in the room looked like me. And I was just like, how do they pick? Yeah. You know, How did that go? Did you ever get selected for anything or through central <coughs> casting or something? Or? I didn't. And uh, But a buddy of mine called me and said, hey, come down uh, to Florida. We got a few people. We're going to open up a, uh, a theater mm-hmm. group. And so we went down to Fort Myers area and we opened a theater company. But at that time, when you lived in the Fort Myers area, when the uh, uh, summer came around, it died. Oh. Because it was all snowbirds. Yeah, I was going to say too hot. Everybody went north. Yeah. So it, so you, we just couldn't we couldn't uh, make a living. So then I went, I was headed back up to New Jersey, but I stopped at a buddy of mine's place, and um, he got me an audition with this gentleman who uh, um, cast people for Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. Was that difficult? And I mean, if if he you hadn't known somebody. Would that be hard for somebody to walk in off the street and yeah. just knock on the door and say, "Hey, I want an audition yeah. without an agent or anybody representing?" Uh, would have been really hard. Okay. I mean, I mean, probably now more they so have now. Open auditions, you know. Now they do. Yeah, they oh. have open auditions. You can go to. You go on the internet and you find Disney auditions, and it tells you everything that's available. So you can do open auditions online now. You don't have <laughs> yeah. to physically. I mean, you, you can be in Timbuktu. Okay. And at the time when I was there, you physically went to of auditions. Course. Sure. And I imagine they'll start that up again. Mm. You know, once things kind of calm down a little bit. I was wondering about that, about how difficult that would have been. But yeah, you were kind of. Been in a lucky position. Kind I was of the stars really aligned there. That I met my friend was you know felt comfortable enough to ask this guy sure. if I could come into his office and audition. Kind of cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And he's you know and he sat me down and asked me you know what what do you where do you see yourself going? So and he took I, an interest, not just in you know here's somebody we can put him you know slot him over here. Right. But it's like he was thinking of me the, as a person. He was thinking of you as a person and for a long time employee. Right. And not just. A summer help kind of guy. Yeah. And as I mentioned, I, I think a lot of the people that I know that still work at Walt Disney World that are came in when I came in uh-huh. were hired by that man. Huh. So they've made uh, uh, quite a nice career out of working at Walt Disney World. Right. And it's a choice you make, obviously. You know, uh, you want to have a, a family and you want to, you know, have friends that you can hang out with and but not how have did to that continually differ? travel. How did that differ from, let's say, King's Landing? As far as you said, that was a very familial kind of a thing. Yeah, King's but, Island was nice because uh, when I went to King's Island, uh, I did a Winterfest program. Okay. And they call, they asked me if I want to go. And I was like, you know, well, I'm out of college now, so I might as well go up to King's Island and do this uh, Winterfest program. But mm-hmm. King's Dominion and King's Island were very... They were much closer, more family. More so um, than Disney? Yeah, because Disney's like... Big. You know, big. There's, yeah. It's hard to be a family. It's like 68,000 employees. Wow. And it's one of the largest um, on-site employers on the East Coast, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And it, so it's a, it's a, you know, you're... It's not a Mickey Mouse operation. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> it's a big operation. Yeah. But, but, the, but the acting community is still 
pretty small. I mean, you you pretty much have heard of about everybody working on property, mm-hmm. but it's grown a lot. Like when I started at uh, what, what at the time was called Disney's MGM Studios. And what year was that? This was in 1989. Okay, we had. Uh, we had the Fab Five at the studios: mm-hmm. uh, Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, and Pluto. Okay. And within two years, that number had quadrupled. Wow! For was all that because of the Disney movies and the franchise just got bigger? Disney movies franchise got bigger. Um, we we had more parade. We started to do parades at the because MGM Studios was only supposed to be like a half day park. And then they just started to add and hmm. make it larger. And that was before Epcot, I guess, or was no it? after Epcot? Okay, yeah. yeah. Epcot it was Epcot. It was like Magic Kingdom, Epcot, uh, Disney's MGM Studios, and then the Animal Kingdom. Now, the, what was it? and you worked for the MGM Studios? I worked. I started at MGM Studios in a program called Streetmosphere, and I worked with thirty other improv actors. Okay, on the streets. On the streets, physically. Yeah, okay. and we did. I, so I did improv. Sometimes I would do an improv set, and sometimes I would do a magic set. Yeah. Um, but most of the time, I, I would do a, a, the magic thing because it was a little bit more variety. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking about Steve Martin. He worked I, from what I remember there in Orlando. I think. Oh no, he's Disneyland. He, he worked in, in Disneyland. LA, yes, in, in Anaheim, and he worked in a shop. I think probably selling magic at a magic shop there. Right. And they had a magic shop in Orlando, didn't they? Or they used they? to have a magic shop at the Magic Kingdom on yeah. um, okay. Main Street. On Main Street. Matter of fact, was the first that. place I bought one of my um, Fantasio canes. Okay. Back mm. in the day. When I was a kid. Boy, was, that's a whole other story about Fantasio and <laughs> those canes, the rise and fall, and right. how they had uh, ripped uh, off of him. And But the millions he'd made, first of all, for, he got in at the right time. And Yes, he did. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, anyhow, <clears throat> not to digress, uh, I, think, I think it's uh, phenomenal. I, I, my first question I always was curious about is obviously working for a company like that you are working for a company so you get a 401k you get uh, health insurance i'm assuming and vacations we and got all that. health insurance we got paid vacations mm-hmm. and we also um had benefits through the walt disney company but then when actors equity came in and started representing the actors hmm. our pension went to actors equity so your pension comes from Actors Equity now. So you got like a when I retire, yes, oh, right, right. But, but I mean, you got a card now, and does that mean that you can? I had that's different from SAG. Yeah, it's different from SAG. Okay. Yeah. So if you were to act in a Disney film or something, you would have to get a SAG card. That's a that's different than Actors Equity. Right. That's correct. Okay. Because that's Screen Actors Guild. Yes. And so Actors Equity is just. Those who might be acting in Broadway, for Broadway example. and um, live action, uh, you know, theaters uh, around your town that may have mm-hmm. an equity contract. Also, hmm. um, not like community theaters, but more like uh, you know, like in Richmond, there was the uh, there was a Richmond theater that hired equity actors. What about those who are working summer jobs that might expect saying, hey, I'd like to work at Six Flags that's near me or something? You know, if I go and audition. Should they expect today, uh, and could they uh, possibly qualify or get uh, Social Security? Or Social Security could could they get um, uh, medical benefits and all that, or is that just a hourly wage? And I'm not sure about uh, Six Flags, but if you're working at Disney, 
Um, you're hired under an equity contract, okay. so then you also. Well, I'm thinking about like Kings Island for an example. Kings Island, we didn't have uh, we didn't have, benefits. didn't have benefits. We didn't have health insurance. Health insurance, and all that. okay. No, it was uh, just a summer gig, and mm-hmm. most of the people that worked there were, you know, people who were in college. Okay. Uh, and you know, singers. That's why I was wondering about the expectations for those who might be thinking, <clears throat> "I would like to work for a theme park." Well, the reason you would want to do that, I guess, is for experience. Uh, for me at the time, it was yeah, experience in a summer job because um, I used to do. Sure. I used to lifeguard. <laughs> it's a lot better than like. Well, of course, lifeguard just sit around, but but I got to do. You know, I got to do what I wanted. I wanted to perform as a magician, sure. so it was a great. Uh, job and it gave you the chance to do. You know, I was doing five, sometimes six shows a day, mm-hmm. and so you, the repetition was really good for honing your skills. And and you had time in the evenings to do other side jobs. Yeah, and so like for example, one year I this Italian family contacted me and they had an Italian restaurant, mm-hmm. and they said, "Would you like to work here a couple nights a week?" I'm like, "Yeah, great." Another summer, uh, Kings Dominion had a guess your age and weight. Hmm. They said, would you like to make some extra money by being a pitch guy for Guess Your Age and Weight? I was like, sure. Yeah. Why not? That was kind of fun, you know? It was kind of fun to be a pitch guy. And Did you learn how to physically, I mean, really do that? Can you guess somebody's age and weight still? I was good at uh, age, stunk okay. at weight. So what I would do is I would draw a circle on yeah. a piece of paper. Yeah. I would show them the circle, and i say, that's where I'm going to write your age or your weight. Okay. And then I would turn it, and I would uh, write my number, and then I would ask him, how old are you? Mm-hmm. And if I nailed it, well, I think he had to be within two years. Let's say he's 37. and Yeah, so I had to be within two years. Yeah. So if I wrote 35, I was good, but if I wrote 34, I missed it. Right. And for weight, it was three, between three pounds. Three pounds above Ooh, and that's below. that's pretty tight. Yeah, it was. So if if I was within the thing, I just showed him. If I was way wrong, you win. Grab yeah. your surprise. So yeah. I would never show it to him, especially if it was age and I was like way off. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that's embarrassing, you know. <laughs> and then one year, um, I worked in their um, cash control department. Wow, completely different. I needed uh, I needed some extra cash because mm-hmm. I knew um, I had some things. I was going to need new tires mm-hmm. for my van. So I worked in their cash control department a couple nights a week just helping count the Evening cash, and we in go, addition to in addition to, to what doing shows during the day. Okay, yeah. So we'd go out in a van and we'd collect all the money from all the games area, and then we'd bring it in and we'd put it in machines and count. So here we were taking a brick of twenty dollar bills, mm-hmm. which I think is like ten thousand dollars, and putting it in a vault. You're just thinking, oh my gosh, there's like. It's my yeah. college tuition, you know, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, every day. Were they paying you overtime for that kind of a thing? Uh, they paid you a rate, but okay. they, well, they didn't have any, um, like, overtime. Okay, interesting. Um, so when you were then with Disney, um, I assume that you knew Bev Bergeron. I did. You probably knew him from way back when. I met Bev um, uh, when I first came into town. And let me mention to the listeners wondering, why am I bringing Bev Bergeron out of the blue? Because he worked the Golden Horseshoe for there at Disneyland. He, he was for, there at the Diamond Horseshoe Di- for yeah. like 13 or 15 years, yeah. something like that. Back in the 80s. And I worked there um, in a different show than he was in. Mm-hmm. And I was there for about six years okay. before they closed the show. So I kind of got on track. I just want people to understand why I'm mentioning him who may not have known that. But... You said that uh, you had uh, worked 
or you first met Bev Bergeron where? Um, I had gone to one of the local uh, club, club meetings, meetings there, okay. and met Bev there and found out about his history, mm-hmm. and I was uh, started ch- chatting with him to see, you know, all, and then heard about him doing Rebo the Clown, so that was kind of neat to mm-hmm. um, find out about that type of history and. So he was—he was a nice guy. He helped me out a few times when I was having difficulty with a, either a routine or something. And his wife was just so pleasant. Um, it was sad to lose them recently. Yeah, so. almost back to back. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think sad. she was like within a few months of of, of Bev. Yep. Uh, so as you mentioned, he worked at the Diamond Horseshoe uh, as well. And so, did you follow him, or was there somebody else that worked? No, there? after uh, Bev's show closed, they opened another show that was pretty much uh, three guys, three girls, and what you would consider to be like a red hot mama. There was not magic at all. No magic yeah. at all in that show, mm-hmm. and they mainly about dance and singing. And then they had a a bartender who was kind of part of the show also. He would sing. Uh, sing and um, they had jokes and and, okay. uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and the girls did a can can thing mm-hmm. and the guys uh, used to uh, stand on top of a piece of uh, solid wood on top of some horses what do you call saw horses saw horses yeah yeah and they do these jumps wow. and land on that piece of wood. it was really wow. mm-hmm. really a great show and a buddy of mine uh, well actually a roommate of mine was in the show. Hmm. And he met his wife while he was mm-hmm. in that show. Mm-hmm. And then they closed that show, and then they opened uh, the show that I was in. It was called the uh, Diamond Horseshoe Saloon Review and Medicine Show. So we started out having... Uh, you had been on the street before, and they moved I you was on the street, street inside. and they moved me inside. And I had a lot to learn, because um, like I what? was used to doing street stuff, and this was, this was a stage. So uh, how was that different? I mean, you're doing magic, it's just... You bring it inside. You're... <clears throat> yeah, but it was the some of the street stuff I was doing. Just like, like what were you doing in the street? Uh, I did the pee and shell game in the street. I did. Uh, um, uh, I was doing an ambitious card routine. I was doing a translocation, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but none of these things, you know, would transition on, onto stage. To stage. I got you. Okay. So I ended up um, had to do more parlor stuff. Yeah. So I had to. I had to figure that out. But there was one pro- thing where I did get away with doing a little. Um, kind of close-up work because they didn't want me to be on stage all the time. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to come out into the house and do something in the center of the house. Oh. So I did a routine out in the center of the house. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was only the two-day guy because there was another guy um, from out in California, Chris Blackmore. And Chris was the full-time, the five-day guy, and I did the two days. Okay. And then Chris decided to go back to California and they hired me to do the five days. Okay. Now, on the days that he was working uh, and that you worked, was it like an eight-hour shift, or was it so many shows a day? Like We did so many shows a day. We probably did five shows a day. What, 20-minute uh, shows? Uh, no, it was a, it was a good... Um, I felt like everybody did f- uh, 15. No, yeah. no, no, that's not right. Yeah, it was pretty close to it. Because the, the the dancing girls came out, and then there was a guitar player, yeah, and he did fifteen, and dancing girls did fifteen, and the magician did fifteen. Okay, so it was about a forty-five minute show. And what they ended up doing with our show is they left the doors open, okay, so that people could just come and go as they pleased. Uh-huh. Sound wise, it was kind of difficult. Um, what they did with the old show that Bev was in is that you made a reservation, right? You came in, you sat down, you got a meal, mm-hmm. and after you ate your meal, you saw the show. 
Mm-hmm. With ours, it was just a continuously running place. Okay, like a real saloon. I mean, people yeah. kind of people come in, go, come and, go. And yeah. stay, or however long it was stay. Yeah. Huh. Um, but, but it's still a lot of fun. I learned a lot there. Um, and uh, uh, I worked with uh, some very talented people, incredible uh, female dancers. Uh, the guitar player was an amazing individual. Mm-hmm. And we all we would sit backstage and kind of try and figure out bits and uh, ways we could do stuff. And then, uh, um, sadly, 9-11 happened. Yeah. And after that, um, we were all called into a meeting, and I was out of town. And um, I said, where's the piano player? He said, what do you mean? I said, which room is the piano player in? And the piano player was in the room with the, the magician and the MC and the um, the guitar player. Okay. But he wasn't in the room with the girls. So they they let go all the can-can dancers. Oh. Hmm. And they called us in early the next morning, and we had to work on a way to make the show still the same length, but mm-hmm. without, without the, dancers. the dancing girls. Mm-hmm. So what would happen is the guitar player would come out. He'd do his bit. And then the MC would come out first, and he'd sing a, a song. And then the guitar player would come out, he'd do a piece, and then the two of them would sing a song together. Yeah. They would introduce me, and at the end of the show, we all sang a song together. Why were the girls released and no one else? I mean, what, what After 9-11, 9/11 had to do with that? a lot of people weren't traveling. Okay. We so weren't, they were just looking at ways of cutting expenses. They were cutting expenses. Oh, and they were the largest group they could let go Yeah, as being part of the act as opposed to one. It was sad. I, well, of course it was. It was, it was. We lost, you know, half of our cast, and it was wow. just—it was hard to believe. Mm-hmm. But uh, we all just um, kind of buckled down and did it. And How was that, as far as the tourism at that time? I mean, I, I can remember things being not necessarily well. Some were shut down, but uh, transportation, everything for a while. Right. But as far as people feeling comfortable, not only traveling but being. Going to theme parks and being in large crowds, uh, I mean, obviously it must have affected Disney in a huge way, uh, just as the pandemic did. Right. Uh, but, um, well, or similar, actually the pandemic probably was was worse from the standpoint of tourism and lasted longer. Right. Because after a while, I'm sure people started picking back up and say, okay, well, I'm okay to travel. But how long were you guys down and devastated from that 9-11 situation? We, were, we weren't down that long. I want to say it was only... A couple of days. Oh, really? Because, a couple of days. Well, there were there were still people who were trapped there who couldn't get home. Yeah, well, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. So they had they wanted us to come in to entertain. There was no flying across the country back right. then. Yeah. So it was a the first day we were back. I, I don't. I might have even been one day where we had off, mm-hmm. but we came back the next day, and um, we did shows, but it was difficult. You could see it in people's eyes. You're trying to. In bring a, cheer and laughter right. in a world that needed it but couldn't. But was possibly maybe too soon. Yeah, you know? right. But they were there on vacation and couldn't go home. I see your point. That's, yeah. It's like they probably come back the second or third time. It's kind of like, well, we've already seen the show. We've seen everything. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, difficult time. And, and that was the uh, one of the days that it, it closed. The park closed that day mm-hmm. at about... On oh, the day or, on nine eleven, yeah. Well, about most, ten thirty or eleven. Most companies did. So yeah. they they got all the guests out, mm-hmm. and then they allowed us to go home. Mm-hmm. So we're walking through the park, and normally there's 
BGM, background music. Okay. And there was no background music except the Haunted Mansion. Hmm. So you just heard the Haunted Mansion as you were walking out to your car. And it was That's just kind of creepy. It was a creepy day. Well. It was a weird day. And the next day it rained. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were back, and there was a moment of silence, and we were just standing yeah. out on the front porch in this rain. Along with that story, I was going to ask you about a few other things. Obviously, the, the thousands of performances that you've had, of uh, having experienced everything and every kind of weather and whatever, being out in the street. Has there been something that has been a story that you like to keep in the back, not in the back of your mind, but it might be one of your favorite stories or a horror story or something you've shared with others? Or something that comes to mind? Uh, there's a st- story that um, happened to me. Uh, I was working at the studios one day, and I was doing a, um ambitious card routine. Okay. And then I would produce it out of a wallet. And then I would usually give it to the kid who signed the card. Mm-hmm. But this kid's family took off. Hmm. And this was during the summer, so I was also doing some extra nights at what they called Disney Village. It was a shopping area. Mm-hmm. And they would hire extra variety performers to perform in this shopping area. So a couple of nights later, I was performing there, and I saw that kid you remember again wow. in the crowd. And I looked through my deck, and the card was still there. <laughs> oh, okay. So I forced it on him. Yeah. And his folks were just flabbergasted. <laughs> Absolutely flabbergasted. And this time I gave it to him. Yeah. Fast forward 15 years later. Okay. This lady comes up to me and she goes, did you used to play a character here called the Great HP? And I was like, well, I knew him very well because at this point in time I was doing my Jack Diamond character. Mm-hmm. I was like, I knew him well. He was a great guy. <laughs> and she goes, um, well, uh, and she tells me the story about the time that her son signed a card uh-huh. and you uh, you know, did some magic with it and then you saw him another night. And, and I goes, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> eh, I remember that. And she go and then suddenly this man, a grown man in his early twenties, steps over, opens his wallet, pulls out that card. You've got to be kidding me. No. Wow. So it was just like one of those things where you were like, Wow, you kind of forget how much effect you can have on someone that this guy's carry that in his wallet all this time. Right. It was pretty cool. <laughs> wow. That's a hard story to top. <laughs> that is pretty good. Yeah, um, that was one of my favorite little stories. That I, they serve alcohol there also, so I'm assuming occasionally you've had some drunk people. Uh, on occasion, you'd get a few. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not very often. I mean, not in Disney World. I wouldn't think of it. It's where you go there to, to drink. Yeah, yeah right. It's not, not your main There are other bars to go to outside of there. We had a couple of people that were very happy, let's yeah. say. Okay. You know, yes. okay. yeah. <laughs> I never yeah. ran into anybody who was, you know, completely out of control. And belligerent to you or anything. No, yeah. no. Did you ever interact and work with some of the characters, like Mickey and Minnie and whomever, and have there them do magic with you? One year when I had to do this um, Sorcerer Mickey show. Okay. On the back of one of the streets behind the great movie ride. And so I would get up on stage and do a few magic pieces. And then I would make uh, Sorcerer Mickey appear on top of this building and doing some magical gestures. Okay. Um, uh, so I'd work with him there. Um, and that was kind of a neat experience uh, to be able to work with Sorcerer Mickey like that. Did you rehearse and stuff like with them? Yeah, uh, we okay. would rehearse at nighttime usually. After and they're the in full costumes? Closed. In full costume. With the rehearsals, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. 
I mean, I didn't know the guy was out of the costume and he would kind of walk through the thing with you or something sometimes. They usually did it to make sure that they knew where everything was going to move. And, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it was usually full costume. <clears throat> I mentioned the first of this episode about character development and everything, and I know you had gone different through different characters. Was the great HP, which I guess was supposed to be like Harry Potter or something? or what? Actually, HP was the great Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus, yes, okay. but Hocus Pocus was his father, and he didn't want to be known as Hocus Pocus. So we, we went into great lengths of background stories uh-huh. uh, with our characters. So I wanted to just be called uh, the great uh, HP. And you create those yourself or do you have script writers who come in for we you would ha- we would create the characters ourselves yeah. we would go into a rehearsal process uh it used to be a pretty lengthy process. like a writer's room kind of a thing uh, we would all sit around and we huh. would get down we would write we would learn the language of the time hmm. and uh, we would incorporate that within our scenarios mm-hmm. that we did and the, the pieces that we worked on on the streets. And the costumes, because they've got a costume, extensive costume department there, obviously. Correct. They would work with you? Yes, they would. Um, uh, Design all your clothing, head Sometimes the, they would, you would tell the designer about your character. Okay. And he would go away, and he would come back, and he would show you the design he had. But on some occasions, they would design without you knowing they were going to change it. So they would come to you and go, we want to put you in a new costume because we did, you're the one you're in is about to fall apart. And so this is the design we have. And it kind of changed your character a little bit because uh, you didn't feel like the person you were before. Okay. Because whether it's a hat or a derby or, you know, whatever you're in. So when I came back after I finished the Diamond Horseshoe, I came back as the character of the great HP. But then we had a new director come in, and he wanted to change the the whole environment. He wanted everybody to be what he called fliffy. Fliffy. F-L-I- fliffy. F-F-Y. Fliffy. Yeah. Okay. He felt that characters should be fun, interesting, funny, fantastic. And that was his little anagram okay. for it, fliffy. And so, uh, and and that's the one of the gentlemen who um, also said you should find a internal song that your character. Tell me about that. Goes, it was it was like internal song. I've never thought about that before. He said, "Yeah, find a song that when you come out on the street, if you're having a bad day, this song just puts you right into character." And uh, so I chose um, Sammy Davis Jr.'s uh, "If They Could See Me Now." That little gang of mine. So that was my internal song. How's that go? Huh? How's that go? If they could see me now, that little gang of mine. I'm eating fancy food and drinking fancy wine. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. That one. So that was that was my internal song. Mm-hmm. And then on some days when you you know, you know, it was oh, so I got to go out there and entertain people. Sure. I know. Kind of dragging. You know, yeah. you'd hit. You'd think of that song and you'd walk out on that street and you were boom, you were there. You got to be in the zone there. I, it's such great advice. I worked at a restaurant for twenty years, and when I would go in, like on a Thursday night for a couple hours, every week I'd kind of say, "Okay." As I got out of the car and was walking to the front door, I just kept saying, "I love you," and I'd smile, and I was smiling internally, and I would. I remember there was a billboard, and, and usually there was some smiling face of somebody, whatever they were selling, whether it was a car or uh-huh. attorneys or grocery store or something. And I'd look up, and they kind of make me smile, and I would think about 
happy things. And so by the time the door opened, I would have a smile pasted on my face whether I felt like it or not. You know, right. Start with a good mood. That's, that's great. And that's I didn't have an internal song. That's a great idea, though. Yeah, I thought it was an amazing idea, mm-hmm. and uh, it really it really helped out. Because as you know, when you're doing you know five shows a day, five days a week, you know for that amount of time, there are some days when you're you really don't want to do it. You don't you, feel happy. Well, you're doing it, but you're you're kind of walking through it. Yeah, you're, you're mailing thinking, it in. Well, I got I got to get gas on the way home. You know, stuff like that. So that's why <laughs> you're making your shopping list. Yeah, that's yeah. why I also started doing uh, effects in my show that had more play to them. Huh. So they were more playful. They they didn't go one direction. Well, like the shell game, because that can go so many different directions. It can go and, so many different directions, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was always fun. It made you had to have to think, mm-hmm. plug and play. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't zone out during mm-hmm. that. You had to stay with it. Because mm-hmm. there would be a couple times where you were doing a card effect, and you're like, "Oh crap, where am I?" <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You can't do that. <laughs> so, so uh, that's why. And then my. Card to pocket routine was kind of very playful. The Chicago kicker thing that I do was mm-hmm. a very playful effect and can go different ways. So that, that helped me out a lot, too. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, the Winter Carnival of Magic. It's Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day. <laughs> that was Tom Vorjahan. He's the co-chairman for the Winter Carnival of Magic. It's going to be held on March the 9th through the 11th coming up in Pigeon Forge. That's Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And yeah, I can't Groundhog believe you're Day. releasing a podcast on Groundhog Day, though, Scott. This is fun. <laughs> yes. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the uh, people who attend from year to year, like the dealers that you have. I know you've got a good variety of dealers. Well, the Winter Carnival prides itself. I, I got a dealer chairman uh, that used to do it for the uh, IBM, and he's got a laundry list of still brick-and-mortar shops that do exist. And we bring in different dealers every year. So it's not like Groundhog's Day at all at the Winter Carnival of Magic. Uh, <laughs> we won't let people come in every year, except we made one exception this year, to my knowledge. But we have uh, Don Bursell coming in, who bought H&R Magic Books. So he's our book dealer, Lo Sanders coming in. Mike Hummer, who's doing a tribute lecture to Al Cohen on Thursday. Well, he's also a dealer. And so he'll be there. Tom Urisitz, who has some great creations that he has. Joe Eddie Fairchild, who builds illusions. Uh, he usually talks to several guys while he's there about customizing stuff for him. Patrick Prezecki and his mats will be at the Winter Carnival. The mat stack starts out so high you can't see Patrick behind the booth. And by Saturday, I'm sure most of them will be gone. A to Z magic. Chris Moore, known for his restaurant work and some fantastic original creations. He's going to be there. I'm very excited about that. Uh, David Ginn, not only is he donating 200 DVDs to our welcome pack of his colorful stage magic DVD. He's also going to be one of our dealers. Uh, Sterlini coming down from Michigan, as well as Wolfgang coming in from Vegas. Uh, That's where we're starting. There's still two or three still to be added. Uh, we're, I can't tell you how excited I am about this year's dealers. It's a great variety. The only one that's coming back is Steve Myers Magic, and I bet you haven't heard of them. I've not they heard of them. They some, do some of the greatest fake fruit, fake props, like an ice cream thing on a stick, but oranges, strawberries, olives, you know, for final loads for cups and balls, chop cup things, great stuff. So, they wanted to come back. I think they really surprised people last year because nobody had expected, you know, you don't go to 
convention going, hey, I need a piece of fruit. So uh, I you think don't know people you need, need it to see it. That. Yeah. So uh, the dealers are fantastic. Uh, WinterCarnivalMagic.com. You can go back and uh, look at the list of talent and everything else, figure out how to register. We'd love to see some of your listeners there, Scott. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you there also. And one last thing, if you want a little bit more information on the Winter Carnival Magic, I suggest you go to the convention guide on the website at themagicwordpodcast.com and you can hear a little bit longer conversation with Tom about some of the details about what's coming up at this year's Winter Carnival Magic, March 9th through 11th. So go check it out. That is at wintercarnivalofmagic.com. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you, Scott. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. (laughs) Thank you, Scott. And now back to our conversation with Terry Ward. When they did have different character changes like that, did it ever, particularly with Disney, did it have to do also with perhaps whatever direction that management felt like, okay, we've got a new movie rolling out uh, with Pocahontas or whatever it happens to be or Frozen or something. And so we want to go in this direction and we're trying to theme the park more to having people subliminally think we need to go back and see the movie again or buy all this kind of stuff. Did I they... think most of the time for our program, yeah. it depended on the director. Okay. Like we had a director who came from Renaissance festivals who knew what it was like to do that interactive improv. Mm-hmm. And he was the one that, you know, did your internal song. He wanted you to be fliffy. and But then the director before him was much more musical-oriented, mm-hmm. and he wanted music uh, pieces out on the street. And so I think it all depended on the particular uh, director that kind of came through, or directors, because at one point in time we had two of them. And I would imagine also that you had to go to some sort of school or training or something, and probably as as political correctness changed and evolved over the years, uh, sometimes months or days, it seems like things have uh, changed here. Uh, but as they do, I'm sure that they would say, okay, you can't, you can't say this anymore, or you can say this or not. And I, and I say that because I was the Super Bowl magician when they were in Houston uh, last time, and whenever I had audition for that, one of the three guys was a Disney World guy who had booked all the acts apparently like you're talking about that fella and because I remember um I after I they liked me and they were using me uh during one of my shows I made some comment about um a newspaper Turner Turner newspaper and I made something about uh uh here's a heading that says um headless body found on topless beach <laughs> which yeah funny line it right. was a martin lewis line i thought it was great and afterwards that guy who was in disney happened to be watching me and he said you need to cut that out he said this is a family you know and i was thinking okay I, I hear where you're coming from this is a football crowd we're in texas you know you say no I'm, i mean you're the boss i'm gonna i mean i didn't say all this my, my, my internal dialogue was going okay yeah I, i'll cut it but um it's a funny line yeah we had Times like that where you would like the I had a line at the Diamond Horseshoe. Uh, they ch- it was the year they changed the the castle to look like a big cake, mm-hmm. and it was all pink. Oh, mm-hmm. like this big, huge pink Cinderella's monster. castle. You're yes, about, yeah. And uh, and it was also the time that at Epcot they brought in the Barbie show. So I, I would have had a line where I said, uh, "Folks, you're probably wondering what happened out there with that." Uh, castle why it's all pink now well cinderella's moving out and barbie's moving in (laughs) and uh 
they came to me one day and they said, I don't think we should use that line anymore. Because Barbie is Mattel. That's not Disney. Right. Is that the reason? Uh, I think a part of that, but also they didn't want to mess with the Cinderella brand. And, you know, uh, I was like, that's fine. That's okay. I understand. So yeah. we had times like that where they would come in and there'd be a particular line that, we, I'm not sure that's the right choice. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it happened a couple of times to a few people where they'd come in and... Well, now that's another thing, too, that I think is important is one of the reasons you lasted, not only because of your intelligence and your demeanor uh, and, and your skills, but your likability factor. And there have been some people who didn't last so long because behind the scenes, they were hard to work with. Yeah, it was my, it's my observation that over the years, those who were harder to work with didn't last as long as those who got along with people backstage mm-hmm. or were easy to work with, easy to take direction. So yeah, that was an observation that I I had I noticed over mm-hmm. the years. So the easier you make it for your boss and the people around you, the more likely they are to keep you. And that's not just for entertainment, but business in general. I'm business just, in general. Yeah, yeah exactly. People should be thinking about being a good human being. Exactly. You know. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because sometimes we would have people come in and they'd be out on the street doing their thing and they just they just couldn't get it. Hmm. It was very strange. And then they w- wouldn't get a contract the next year. Hmm. And suddenly they would become funny. Oh, is that right? It was like, it was like the, I don't know if they were just too tense that they were, oh, they uh-huh. got, I got this job. I got to be good. Yeah. And then once they f- remember the, know that they don't have the job anymore, they suddenly became funny. I was hmm. like, where was this? Yeah, last you know, year. Last year, you know. Yeah. So it was a very, it was a very op- funny observation also to make on occasion. <laughs> Going back to character development for just a moment, the characters that you were coming up with and these ideas and things, how many different characters did you go through and how did it evolve? I had the great HP who was an English character, and then I had a great HP who was kind of a wise guy character. And then when I moved to do Jack Diamond, uh, they thought the wise guy character I did was too curmudgeon-y. Mm-hmm. And they wanted Jack. That was the New Jersey kind of guy. He was Chicago said, kind of Chicago, a guy, okay. yeah. And uh, they thought he was too curmudgeon-y, so they wanted him to be a little bit more lighter. And that's, okay. that's why I picked that. Particular and you changed your song, tone and your tone, demeanor. Uh-huh. You know, he could still a be more. a touch edgy, but yeah. you know, you know, a few edgy lines could come out. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was always like. Uh, uh, at the Genie Convention, Richard Kaufman would always say, "You, you still, you still." hit people with lines now, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> but things have uh, things evolve and change a little bit. Um, yeah, you have to so. soften things up. And then that can really get into your head when you're an improv mm-hmm. person and you're having to uh, second-guess things you're, that are coming out of your mouth or you're about to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you've been trained you know, underneath the Disney traditions to um, – be the certain person that people expect to see when they come to Walt Disney World. But, uh, you know, we every now and then we like to touch that line a little bit, but some people would take a step over it <laughs> have to be reeled back in. And sometimes you could do it just by accident. You yeah. know, something could come. There was a time I was at the Diamond Horseshoe, and there was this lovely lady sitting next to a guy, and I said, is that your husband? And she says, no. And I was like, but she holds up her hand and shows yeah. a ring. Shows a ring. Okay. I said, oh, so y'all are engaged. And she said, no. I said, so you gave her a ring, but you didn't have the balls enough to ask her to marry you? 
And then I came off stage, and all my buddies went, you just said balls on stage. And you didn't said, even realize And I was like, I didn't. I'm going upstairs. <laughs> so I go up to the stage manager and I go, I just said balls on stage. It just came out like it's, it was a natural. It's in my vernacular. Yeah. You know, I apologize. Not going to happen again. Yeah, not going to happen again. And, but it just came out. Well, how did the audience react? They laughed. Okay. They laughed, but but I didn't, and I didn't realize I even said it because it just mm-hmm. came out of my mouth. And yeah, the, seemed and natural. What, yeah, it did. It was just like a, in my natural kind of vernacular. <laughs> in working with Disney also, did they move people around uh, such that, I mean, did you ever go do cruises saying, we want you to go out on a cruise? The cruise thing's very different because you, I think, it, from what I understand, you have to be away from the company for a period of time before you can go work on the cruise line. Really? Yeah, because they're, they're different entities. So, so like one time they wanted me to come on the cruise line and perform magic for the Disney Vacation Organization. Okay. But I couldn't do it because I was underneath an equity contract at uh, Disney, and the um, cruises don't have that. So they hmm. so they had a problem with it. So you would have had to have terminated your employment. Terminated my employment, waited a couple months, and then could have gone on the ships. Okay. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's how they're doing it now, but at the time, that's the way it was. Now, when did you leave them? How long has it been since you've been with Disney? Uh, I, I left uh, during uh, – they uh, let us all go. All in the COVID. actors on property were let go during COVID. In 2020? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was about uh, 250 full-time and about 700 altogether that were – some were just part-time and did a couple shows mm-hmm. you know, here and there. So there were 700 that were let go? 700 people were wow. mm-hmm. wiped off. And how many of those have come back? I would say – Probably a good two to three hundred. I think there's. Um, they're still not back up to full staff. No, like they're they not. They're not back up to what they used to be. There's still no a variety performers hmm. on at the studios or at the Magic Kingdom on Main Street like there used to be. And no street performers like there were. What you call a street experience? What was that? Streetopolis. Streetmosphere. Streetmosphere. Nothing yeah. like that. Um, no, because they changed streetmosphere to what we used to call Citizens of Hollywood. That's what our group was. Now, and I was. We were thirty when I started mm-hmm. there. Is that when you wore the spats? Didn't you it, wear spats or something? I, I wore spats when I worked at King's Dominion. Oh wow. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you may remember that picture from I one do. of the magazines. Yeah. Yes, that was. It was a cool. It was. All purple costume, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but um, and I did actually wear spats uh, uh, for a couple special events. Hmm. Yeah, the, the the people that were were working on uh, Hollywood Boulevard, we were called the Citizens of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Now, when I started, we were thirty. When we were let go, we were eight. Wow. Mm-hmm. So we the program had been was it because of seniority that you guys stick around, or how were they? How were they selecting? Well, you, you hope it's because of the work. Yeah. You were doing good work. Yeah. You know, all because there was a period of time when you used to have to re-audition every year. But mm-hmm. when Actors' Equity came in, as long as you were doing a good job, you didn't have to audition. Mm-hmm. You could go into your yearly contract negotiation, negotiate your pay, and uh, then sign your equity contract. And, and you negotiate that yourself, or do you have, like, someone yeah. from the union that comes in with you? Or Nope. Okay. I, had, I negotiated that myself. Okay. You ever had an agent? Uh, I have several agents that are not like uh, in Orlando that I used that book me, but uh, they're not like my personal agent. Currently, you mean? Right. Okay. I have multiple agents I work through. through. 
Okay. Yeah. And most of the work that you do now, I assume, is just some corporate type of things? Of well, I'm working uh, several days a week at a place in Kissimmee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called the Great Magic Hall. It is located in Old Town off of 192. And we do shows there uh, every day of the week. And you start out in a parlor environment, mm-hmm. and then you move to another room to see close-up. And then you move to another room to see stage. Hmm. And then you come into another room. We do a little pitch. About? About. uh, We pitch magic tricks that we sell. Magic tricks that we sell. Oh, okay. And then um, it's about a 30 to 35 minute show. It's 10 bucks a person. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Owned by a very uh, intelligent individual, Attilio. He's the owner of the place. He uh, owned Theater Magic, which used to be the magic shops at Universal Studios hmm. for many, many years. How many magicians work there? Uh, we have Jaffo, who was on Penn & Teller Fool Us. Uh, Nathan Comarsh, who's been on Penn & Teller. Mm-hmm. Uh, a gentleman by the name, uh, he calls himself Cardini, uh, but his name is uh, Dennis, and he works there. We have um, Dan Stapleton. Mm-hmm. A uh, guy used to be a cruise ship magician for many years yep. who comes in on occasion and performs. Um, Danny H., Danny Hernandez, a young magician from down in Miami who will occasion join us. I think I've met him, too. And perform. Nice. Is Eric Olson work there? Uh, no. He's, Eric's been really busy with um, trade shows. Trade shows. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Real busy with trade shows. Because his place closed also. Wasn't that in Kissimmee? He had a place called Wizards, Wizards yeah. yeah, and it was open every Monday night in, in Kissimmee. In Kissimmee, mm-hmm. yeah, and Kissimmee is near Orlando. It is. It's, it's a suburb, yeah, basically. It's a big kind of a tourist area. Mm-hmm. Kissimmee is, and all, and it's also where a lot of uh, baseball teams have their they used to spring training. Yeah, a lot of them used to be there for spring uh, spring training, but uh, um, not too many of them are left. They've moved. They go out to Arizona, other places, huh? Yeah, because I was thinking Kissimmee was a big. Big place for that. We still get a few that, uh, I think we get a couple that still play at the ESPN uh, Park, park. Uh, yeah, at Disney. That's just fascinating. Uh, do, do you work a little bit of trade shows? I mean, for Disney? I've done trade shows, uh, not for Disney, but uh, okay. for other uh, magicians who hired me over the years to uh, go out and do trade. I've done them in Vegas and uh, Chicago, mm-hmm. there in Orlando. Orlando is an interesting market trade show-wise because – People come there, but, I mean, there's so much to do that they don't come to a trade show for long. So they don't stay in the hall. They'll go out. They'll go a lot out of times they'll the bring parks. their families with them yeah, also, I guess. Parks and, yeah, but, you know, you go to other places and you're like, man, I haven't stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I would imagine that would be different and because I have been – at some trade shows on both sides uh, in Orlando, exactly like you said. You know, like if I'm down there on business, right. I'm going out and playing golf, right. you know, right. rather exactly. than hanging around the booth, uh, you know, working the booth. But if I'm performing, you know, I'm looking for people to come in because come they're out playing golf. Entertain, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, – but I've worked some uh, trade shows in um, Houston, uh, yeah, all across mm-hmm. the country, uh, and uh, – I enjoy the work, and it's uh, it's very. I've learned a lot. I wasn't good at it at first. It took me a little while to figure it out. So, of all those things you have been doing or have done, and you look back on your life, and you have a lot more left to live. You're still a young man, <laughs> right? Uh, what have what what have you enjoyed really the most doing? You know, with the trade shows and theme parks and and. Um, 
I, I just enjoy the freedom of working as a character mm-hmm. doing magic. Because, you like the character. Yeah, I think you have a little bit more freedom of what comes out of your mm-hmm. mouth because they know it's not a not real you. person. It's a character. Right. And so I enjoy that freedom of that. And I had to learn early on that when I do a trade show, I have to kind of think. Step out of that? No, I have to kind of think of a character for oh, the I show. Oh, I so step that into I'm, a character. Yeah, step into a character because it, it allows me to be more. Because uh, at first I was too uptight at trade shows, just because I was hmm. I knew I had somebody who had hired me to come in their booth, and I'm trying to pitch their product at the same time performing magic, and I just I took it all too seriously, mm-hmm. and I had to realize that I had to come up with a, a trade show character that was you know kind of a pitch guy, and you know, and once I found that that was a little bit better, a little easier to take. So do you have that character as a pitch man as opposed to just being Mr. Nice Guy? I mean, I don't have a trade show character. I just well, I feel it, like it, I'm a business executive who does it helped magic. Me, it helped you know? me out. Okay. So now now I'm I'm a little bit more comfortable in my own self now. Yeah. You know, as my as I don't think early on I was as comfortable cuz you as you don't do this for a longer time you come become more comfortable as yourself performing magic. Well, that's true. I think in anything, whether you work in a restaurant right. or or anything, right? You know. And I think uh, I, I, there there was a time when I was like, I think I I think I think I'm comfortable doing this now. I I enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it just took a little bit of realization to understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, as we wrap up over here, then I want to ask you, Terry, about your magic word the name of my podcast is called the magic word podcast so i always like to close by asking my guests what it is that is their philosophy of life or what is it that you live by what's important you've talked about several things that you have done in your life or your career and directions and things that are important to you and what uh what do you live by relationships oh good doesn't have to be a word it could be a phrase or whatever i mean whatever relationships okay. with the people you work with the people you meet and uh, the people you entertain mm-hmm. i think it's all about the relationships so, so maintain good relations uh, yeah. with with everybody just be nice i guess you don't know, have yeah. good relationships with everybody because not i guess because it's self-serving but it's just that's the right thing to do it's the right thing to do and you never know you know or leave. If you're like for example you're talking to a person who takes your dirty laundry at the end of the day you never know if five, six years down the road they could be your yeah. stage manager. Mm-hmm. You don't know that. So you got to treat them the same way you want to be treated. That's good. And also, a takeaway for me is uh, to uh, find your own internal music. Yes. <laughs> I love that. It's a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> so many times, because it doesn't matter what your walk of life is, wherever you're going to be going into whatever situation not just work situation but whatever that you have some trepidation or some worry or anxiety about that just find your internal song yeah, yeah. and uh step into it terry it's been great um pleasure and, speaking with you yeah i've enjoyed it great <laughs> one i one i meant to ask earlier i guess the last thing would be about where people can find your dvds and all the information if they wanted to uh uh learn more about you or learn from your lecture well i have a, a lecture on penguin okay uh, penguin live lecture Okay. And that's uh, just type in Terry Ward and yeah, find we'll it through Penguin. Find my live lecture there. I don't think they carry my DVDs anymore. I have a very small few left box of them. Um, yep. But if you get in touch with me through Facebook or something, I'll be glad to 
slide one your way. Okay, sounds great. <laughs> Terry, thanks very much. Appreciate you being my guest. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> so with the Magic Word Podcast. That was Terry Ward. This is Scotty out. Thank you, Terry, very much for being my guest this week. That was just a whole heck of a lot of fun and very insightful to get a lot of those details about your background. And uh, golly, something to aspire to for all of us magicians to try to get those 10,000 hours to become the expert that you are. Congratulations. And I also want to thank you, Terry, very much for the package of the uh, offer you've given to the listeners to be in this week's contest. So let me just tell you a little bit about that. Towards the end of this episode, Terry was talking about having a DVD that is available, and also he has a Penguin Lecture. Well, he is now offering one of those DVDs and one of those Penguin Lectures uh, for free to a winner of the contest. I should say to two winners. So one of one thing for one and one for the other. You get the idea. Anyhow, if you go to themagicwordpodcast.com, there you will find a registration or an application form where you can fill out. All you have to do is put your name and your email address, and you will automatically be registered for this week's contest. We'll let that run for a couple of weeks as we normally do, and in order to give more people an opportunity to try to get caught up, because we seem to be flooding you with so many different podcasts from week to week, particularly when we go to these magic conventions and have all these daily reports. But anyhow, it's hard to keep up, I understand. But I want to give you as much opportunity as we can in order to have the most people to have an opportunity to win. This contest is open to anyone in the world, but the foreign shipping will have to be reimbursed for those if someone's name happens to be selected who resides outside of the United States. Other than that, then postage will be paid by Terry Ward. I also want to remind you to go and check out the information for the Winter Carnival of Magic and patronize our sponsor by registering for this year's convention. It should be a lot of fun. As I mentioned, I'll be there, and we're going to have something special we're going to be doing with the podcast, uh, perhaps doing something live. So you'll have an opportunity to join us in the audience as we actually do a recording while we're there as well. And some a lot of other things that are going to be going on as well. One last thing I'd like to leave you with, and that is if you are interested in learning more about the 10,000-hour principle that was written in the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, if you'll go to the magicwordpodcast.com, there you'll see a link on this week's blog that you can click on that will take you to Amazon. Of course, you can go to Amazon and find that directly. However, if you go through our website and click on the Amazon link that is on every page of, of our blog, then when you are directed to your account, then the Magic Word Podcast will receive a little bit of something from Amazon for every purchase that you make, not only for that book, but any other purchases and all purchases that you make. So think about that. Whenever you're going to be wanting to purchase something on Amazon, don't forget the magicwordpodcast.com. Again, go to the website. At the bottom of every page, uh, you will see a little graphic, and just click on that. That will take you to there, and you can order whatever you want. So that kind of helps us if you want to give us a little bit of love. We appreciate any and everything that you can do to help this podcast. I'll be heading to South Lake Tahoe this next week, so I'll be away. However, I will already have next week's episode ready to be posted, and so you will enjoy this one coming up with a friend of mine from Las Vegas. I'm sure you will enjoy, and I will give you a little bit of a tease right now. Uh, he happens to be a fabricator, that is, a builder, magic builder, and someone 
who is not as well known as some of the others that you might know. Anyhow, you're going to make a new friend next week. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being my listener. And so until next week, stay well, get booked, and remember these three things. Maintain good relationships, be nice, and find your own internal song and step into it. This is Scotty out. Scotty out.